This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the average attendance at the Field of Dreams or Snoopy's fielding percentage, this is not the place. But if you find yourself dreaming of a world with robot umpires and cyborg players, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Mucucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today, we aren't the only ones making it up as we go along. Welcome to Bad Hops. Yeah, well, we are making it up as we go along because that's what we do. That's right. We're making stuff up all the time. And we're talking about fictional baseball players. We're talking about some of our favorites. We might sneak in some of our least favorites as well. Not that we are ever critical of anything here. Never. Where did you start consuming stuff about fake baseball players or or, or at least fictionalized versions of baseball players? I think there were any number of things. I'm sure there were lots of scholastic readers that you picked up in elementary school and things like that. I love the fact that the Simpsons writers are huge baseball geeks. Yes. I have read a lot of stuff about the episode Homer at the Bat, which was, I don't want to say how long ago it was because it shows my age, but worse, it shows the Simpsons age. But I think it was more than 25 years ago. It might even be 30 years ago. Wow. Simpsons have been around for a while. I actually wrote an article in my college newspaper about the first episode of The Simpsons thinking it was probably too good to last too long. There's a prediction that uh, you did not get right. And yet I did because it's, <laughs> it's still going on and it's not very good anymore. Yeah. That Homer at the Bat episode, you got to see animated versions of Steve Sachs, Wade Boggs, Ozzy Smith, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly with his big nasty old sideburns, Daryl Strawberry, Ken Griffey Jr., your friend Jose Canseco and Mike Sosha, who was still a player. That's how wow. old that episode of The Simpsons is. Mike Sosha was a player and is now a manager. Actually, he's not a manager anymore, is he? No, I don't think so. I Mike think he Sosha. was forcibly retired. I think, I think so. Of course, these were all real people, though Ken Griffey Jr. in real life did not have his forehead increase to 10 times its normal size because he suffered from gigantism. I mean, he should have. Or did he? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Well, in in a certain sense, you might know. In terms of a swelled head? Well, I mean, you know, if anyone should have a swelled head, I mean, Griffey definitely has a a case for it. He is a great player. I think Griffey, especially during a certain, for a certain generation, doesn't matter uh, their rooting interests. Griffey's a a catalyst for a a lot of people becoming baseball fans. And hip-hop fans, or at least Naughty by Nature fans. Where did you get your fictional baseball or or at least semi-fictional baseball experiences from? For me, I remember as a kid, I loved Bugs Bunny. And we would kid around about, you know, there were several episodes where Bugs plays baseball. And he throws like his weird Bugs Bunny change-up, slow-motion pitch. And I think that's where I remember kind of really enjoying the fact that you had this kind of, you know, smug, sarcastic little rabbit who uh, could also play baseball. So there were a number of times in Looney Tunes where Bugs Bunny, with you know, there was characters were playing baseball. Because at that point, I think baseball was the sport. I mean, I'm not as 
old as when the original Looney Tunes were released. I obviously saw them during reruns as a kid and I still love them. There was definitely a, a reverence around baseball, but also kind of like an irreverence when they were, you know, playing around with how the sport was played. So there's the famous scene where the they're just like the the hitters are just going like kind of mamboing around the bases because oh, you know, the ste- pitcher, steady, steady loop. Ste- yeah. Steady loop. So, I mean, so that's what I think of. Like, that's my first, probably my first memory of fictional baseball or baseball depicted in entertainment. Did you ever think that you might be able to throw a fastball so effectively that you could then catch it? I'm kind of flashing back to that, that Bugs Bunny could throw a pitch and then catch it. Well, yeah, um, because he was Bugs Bunny. No, because Bugs Bunny, I mean, only Bugs can do stuff like that. Must have taken a wrong turn at Albuquerque That's to right. see the isotopes. <laughs> That's right. What a maroon. Had not intended to talk about that when I was thinking of The Simpsons, but the mm-hmm. the fact that the Albuquerque isotopes yep. were a throwaway joke on The Simpsons that actually became a real team. Yeah, I love that. You know, that's right. You put that on your vision board. You manifest what you want to see in your life. And the city of Albuquerque said, hey, we need a minor league team. I think they might have already had a minor league team. I think they they did. No, I think they did. No, I honestly think they did. And they changed it to the isotopes, which like smart, right? Simpsons at that point, especially were very big. Like, of course, name your minor league team after a, a Simpsons reference. I think I'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge Seinfeld. We've talked about uh, Seinfeld in the past in our exchange students episode where we talked at length about our friend Joe Pepitone. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, there were so many baseball players referenced on that show and so many baseball players that appeared on that show. If you've ever wanted to see Danny Tartable in a sitcom. Or Keith Hernandez. I'm Keith, Keith Hernandez. Hernandez. He almost made my cut of the top 10 fictional characters because, I mean, yes, I know (laughs) he appeared as himself, but how much of that was actually Keith Hernandez being sort of a smug jerk face? I mean, I think some of it was uh, Keith Hernandez. I mean, I I listened to enough uh, Mets broadcasts. Uh, I do enjoy Keith Hernandez on on the broadcast, but do you think Keith Hernandez, like in real life, would have asked Jerry Seinfeld to help him move? I could see that happening. I guess the question is, has he asked Ron Darling, his broadcast partner, to help him move? I feel like Ron Darling would tell him no. Probably at this point, Keith can, can pay for movers. It's my yeah. guess. But, yeah, but I mean, Seinfeld I mean, was ripe with references, you know, uh, seeing Joe DiMaggio at Dinky Donuts, Kramer getting into a fight was it with Joe Pepitone, right, at the um, Yankees fantasy camp. Did he hit Mickey Mantle? Like, it's a, and then you actually had players like Keith Hernandez, uh, who, were, who was featured in an episode. And yes, everyone who knows Seinfeld, he's a huge Mets fan. But because George Costanza ended up working for the New York Yankees, you know, you would get, and this was the 90s when the Yankees were winning all their World Series, you'd get appearances by Bernie Williams. Paul O'Neill would just like, you know, would appear in cameos on different episodes, which was honestly for Seinfeld, it makes, it made sense. It's very New York and New York very much loves their baseball. I really struggled because I wanted to include George Steinbrenner on my list of fictional characters. I mean, as well. I think that you can because the portrayal of of Steinbrenner on on um, Seinfeld was very much a caricature. It was a fictitious George Steinbrenner. So I think you kind of right. could have gotten away with that because he was a very very much a, a character played as if it was a, a two kids inside of a trench coat trying to get into an R rated movie. 
because it was one actor in a terrible wig yep. that always had his back to the camera, gesturing wildly, and Larry David's voice. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was obviously rambling, Larry rambling. David's voice. Yeah. Obviously. And, and Larry David is a big New York Yankees fan. So you got two big baseball guys writing and producing a TV show in, about New York. You're going to get a lot of baseball references. I'm going to bring up the SNL, right? SNL, what always comes to mind for me, again, same period of time, 90s. I forget, was Derek Jeter hosting SNL? He might have been hosting SNL, but there's a really funny sketch, if you've never seen it, where Derek Jeter, David Wells, and David Cohn play the wives or girlfriends of their respective selves attending a, a baseball game and kind of making fun of each other. And it's actually, it's actually one of the funnier ones and like major props, these guys like got in drag and they, you know, they made fun of them. And it's, it's a really funny sketch if you can find it on YouTube. I thought you were going to say Chico Escuela. Oh, Chico Escuela. You're going further back. Oh yeah. Well, you know, very good to me. Oh wow. Yeah. That's a real, that's a real throwback. Yeah. Back when SNL was uh, on a newsreel in black and white in 19, <laughs> Kinda. 1975. Kinda. But yeah, Garrett Morris, this character yeah. of a player of some Latin origin. It was never very specific, but it was the baseball been very, very good to me. I knew there was something. That was, I mean, that was the SNL skit that came to my mind. No, I knew that SNL had gone down that road in a variety of ways. So thanks for, thanks for remembering that. Jeez. When we come back... We will start our countdown of the top 10 fictional baseball characters. We are about to count down the top 10 fictional characters as determined by a panel of experts, namely myself and Jackie, the only experts that matter. Of course. Counting down the top two most important people in baseball podcasting, it's a tie for first. Well, yes, of course. But there are no ties in baseball. Um, yeah. So we'll have to have a home run derby to determine this. <laughs> Tonight is the night that I should jump on that because uh, you have been to two baseball games in the last 24 hours. I have. <laughs> I don't know if your arms are tired, but I know every other part of you is tired. So I think you're, you may be good for, I don't know, 50 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Well, you are going to kick us off with number ten. Are we going to do the? Uh, we going to do the morning zoo sound effects like we I did. I mean, you uh, can. You're very good at the uh, number ten. I think you're better at that. I think yeah. I feel like I'm giving you the tiebreaker. Okay. So that you can embarrass yourself. We'll 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 both do it. Okay, that's fine. So we, we can alternate. You can do for me, and I'll I'll do for you. Number ten. All right, I'm going to start with someone that you would probably think about um you you would probably put on your list somewhere but maybe this isn't the character the first character you'd pick from this from this movie it's from the movie bull durham and it's ebby calvin nuke lalouche played by tim robbins and i picked him as as opposed to crash davis who is the kevin costner character who is the mentor for for nuke lalouche because nuke lalouche really i mean he's kind of a douche (laughs) maybe he should have been douche lalouche you know (laughs) and i think like he he kind of nailed it like this character is kind of they kind of nailed it because he is the typical i mean and now it's it's even worse because the money is even bigger like the top prospect who has a Great arm. He can pitch. He can throw really hard, but he has absolutely no location. I feel like it is based on such a type, such a real life type. But of course, he's a little bit douchier than the average baseball player. Well, 
I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. You can argue with me on that. But what I like about, uh, there are some great lines in that in the movie about that character, Nuke. And at one point, his manager for the uh, Durham Bulls says he's uh, got a million dollar arm, but a five cent head. So that's, you know, the whole point of Crash Davis is to get that five cent head screwed on correctly. By the end of the movie, Nuke Lelouch, who is very flashy, has like a really, you know, flashy car, is all about, I'm going to go to the show because I can throw really hard. He does eventually make it to the major leagues and they show him, you know, having been coached by the Kevin Costner character, Crash Davis, on how to talk to the media. It's like, you know, I'm just happy to be here. I hope I can help the ball club. You know, I just want to give it my best shot. The good Lord willing, things will work out. Like platitudes, I'm going to say a whole lot of nothing. So number 10. Every locker room uh, interview in a nutshell right there. I mean, Bull Durham in general is a great baseball movie. I mean, we don't, we obviously don't watch the good baseball movies since we watch the babe. Um, Only garbage time for us. That's right. But Bull Durham is just, I mean, the characters in there, Annie Savoy, Crash Davis, Nuke, they're, I mean, some of the minor characters around that. that is, it is just a movie ripe with really good baseball characters and really does a great job of encapsulating what it's like to be a minor league player. And I believe the, forget who wrote the movie, but he had been actually uh, in the minor league. So but was that was that Ron Shelton? Yeah. That, am he, I getting that name right? I Writer, director, I think. Maybe? Oh, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, he had actually been in the minor league. So that's why it's, I, and I hadn't realized that until I started like, you know, looking, looking at the characters. I'm like, oh, so this is why this movie rings so true is because this guy actually, you know, saw all this play out. Number nine. Number nine is another untamed pitcher with an attitude. And of course, yeah. I'm talking about Ajun Sawamura. Yeah, that rolls off your tongue easily. Yeah, I even practiced it. Ajun Sawamura, the ace of diamond, also known as Diamond No Ase. He is the star of the manga and anime series Ace of Diamond. Ajun is a pitcher. He, when we first meet him, he's coming out of middle school, and he's a pitcher with unpredictable delivery, very intuitive to the situation, but very volatile. He actually doesn't know how to throw a fastball, per se, or a curveball. He just knows how to throw to the hitter in the right situation. He is therefore kind of uncatchable. He's not really a team player, but a scout, a sexy scout, Ray Takashima from Saido High School recruits Ajun to join the very prestigious Saido team, a team that has a good shot at getting to the Koshin tournament, which of course is the mm-hmm. big, that's the Friday Night Lights baseball tournament of, of Japan. It is the big, every high school dreams of, of, uh, of battling that out at Koshin. Ray Takashima takes a big chance on this young hothead who doesn't really seem to grasp what an opportunity he's been given. If you don't read manga, you're going to have a hard time figuring it out. For one thing, you got to remember to go back to front. I have always, like when I read, I, you know, I'm not a huge manga person, but because um, Rachel reads manga and there's, we have a whole bunch of manga and a lot of them are your suggestion. That has been the hardest thing for me is, try, is learning how to read in the opposite direction. <laughs> The manga itself is amazing. Like the the artwork and the the text is fine, but it's just the fo- learning how to follow the flow. 
this is not the best sports manga that I've ever seen. I think that has to go to Haikyuu, which is the volleyball one. Yeah. Which, yeah. honestly, they can stretch out a volleyball match over three volumes of these books. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe. <laughs> okay, so when the Libero fell and hit the ground and the ball went like, I'm like, wait, this is, it took like 20 pages for this one shot. And it's amazing. I do not know anything of detail about Yuji Terajima, who is the writer and illustrator of it. It's clearly he has a huge affection for baseball. You see the speed lines and these crazy sound effects when this ball is like flaming towards the catcher's mitt. And you're like, OK, I don't really know what's happening in the story, but I am all in. So I've really enjoyed reading Ace of Diamond. I'm going to check out the anime series. I think it's still on Netflix. I know it's on Crunchyroll. You have to kind of be an anime addict, I think, to essentially pony up for Crunchyroll. <laughs> Maybe the other intimidating factor for you, Jackie, uh-huh. not just reading from, uh, from back to front, there are 47 volumes of Ace of Diamond from 2006 to 2015. So there's a lot to read. There's a lot, but I feel like manga, it's not text heavy. Um, so you can actually fly through them. You can fly through a few of them a day if you really devoted yourself. So it's really yeah. just me being able, not being a dumbass and being able to follow through. If I was a bus rider, if I wasn't doing work from home stuff, like we're mm-hmm. all seeming to do, if I was riding the bus, I could probably get a volume done in a in a commute. Yeah, they're, sure. they're not that hard. Yeah. I do want to give a special shout out as I was reading up on Ace of Diamond. I learned about a spinoff series called Brass of Diamond. Wow. And it is about the Saito High School Wind Instrument Club. <laughs> oh, it's band camp. <laughs> it is a, a brass band from the same school that Ajun Sawamura pitches at. And I just love the fact it's the same writer. It's a different illustrator. But I love the fact that uh, someone decided, oh, this baseball manga is very successful. So let's do a story about a brass band at the same school. Number eight. Okay, we are going staying in literature, although not manga. I've got Henry Scrimshander from The Art of Fielding, a book by Chad Harbach. Henry is a shortstop who is known for his, he's a great fielder. He's an amazing fielder. He doesn't make any errors. And in fact, he calls, he names his mitt zero because he makes zero errors. And his big dream is to make it to become a St. Louis Cardinal so he can play in front of the best fans in all of baseball. Best fans in baseball. Exactly. And he ends up going to a college called Westish to play on their team. And all of a sudden, he gets the yips and he cannot make a single, he can't field anymore. His first error, what happens is his first error that he makes, it goes unnoticed because it's a throw that hits one of his fellow players in the face It almost kills him, right? So that everyone's focused on that. So that's, he suddenly he can't throw anymore, right? Like he can't, you know, he's fielding and he can't, he's just throwing, throwing the ball. And it's, you know, it goes a lot into his mindset, him trying to get back into being able to field again. Eventually he quits baseball. He leaves the college and then a series of injuries that lead up to this, uh, to the, the playoffs for this college team forces Henry back into the game. And now he is focused on hitting. He has a bunt hit 
a bunt hit with his head that he does on purpose. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's kind of his way of, of atoning for what happened to the guy he hit in the face. They win the game, and eventually Henry is drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's kind of like, it goes a lot into the mental part of the game, right? So something horrible happens. They're this amazing, he's a scrawny, like phenom shortstop. He's not a particularly good hitter, and like he's known for his glove. That's why he's there. And something happens that's kind of horrible, and he just, you know, then he can't throw. And it goes into that psychology and just how he ends up basically kind of reinventing himself because when he comes back, he's like this big brawny hitter as opposed to the scrawny, like scrappy fielder. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a baseball fan, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a really compelling story. Check it out. Henry Scrimshander, The Art of Fielding. The Yips. And I, of course, I never want to see anybody carted off off the field on a stretcher. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for me, the yips are almost as hard to watch. When you see somebody that had it and now has the yips, I'm still traumatized by Rick Ankeel in the playoffs, throwing the ball over the netting. Like 2002. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) keep the ball down, buddy. You, You can just make it out of this inning. You can go home for the rest of your life. It's fine. It's very traumatic. And we've all been in one of those situations where you doubt yourself so much that you become paralyzed. That's been on my reading pile for a while. I need to get around to it. But thanks for the reminder. The art of fielding. All right. Moving along to number seven. Number seven, Fred Myers. Fred Myers, not the store? not, (laughs) Not the founder of the Fred Meyer department store. We're going to keep it in the realm of literature here. You may know him better as Boomerang, one of Spider-Man's arch-villains. Okay. Well, villain. I don't know that he qualifies. I don't think he's an arch-villain. We'd have to really know who he was. From you you, you would have to have heard of him first. Yeah. That's that's fair. But yeah, to be an arch-villain. But a villain, nonetheless. Okay. Yeah. Before he became Boomerang, Fred Myers was a former Mets pitcher. He was a real hot shot on the mound. He had a great fastball, great control. He was, I I think, cruising along in Cy Young territory until Hammerhead, who is a bigger big bad to Spidey. And you may still not know who Hammerhead is because he hasn't shown up in a big motion picture yet. But Hammerhead, who is a pawn of the Magia, not to be confused with the Mafia. There are copyright issues. I would, with the yeah, you don't want the Mafia coming after you because, you you know, (laughs) infringed on their copyright. You don't want to fall off the truck like a uh, carton of cigarettes. So, yeah, so Hammerhead bribed Fred to throw a game. He got caught. He got kicked out, banned from baseball. But there's a happy ending to that story. The now disgraced Fred Myers was hooked up by Hammerhead with some powers. Boomerang powers. Ooh. Because, see, the thing is, Fred was born in Australia. And honestly, in the late 60s, when he uh, the character of Boomerang was created... Marvel writers had about five minutes to do their character development. He's from Australia. Boomerang. Boom. Done. There you go. That now makes. That's how you know he's Australian. Shrimp on the Barbie and all that. Now let's there do Stiltman next. <laughs> Fred first appeared in Tales to Astonish in 1966. But the good stuff in terms of what I would recommend reading is a book called The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, uh, written by Nick Spencer and drawn by Steve Lieber. 
It's a very funny caper book. You don't actually have to know any Marvel continuity. You just watch these sort of bumbling criminals with superpowers screw themselves over, double cross, triple cross themselves. Boomerang is leading the once mighty and now hapless Sinister Six, although there's currently only five members of the team, kind of like the Thompson twins. Um, and Spider-Man almost never appears, but it's, if you read that incarnation, it's very funny. It's uh, it's enjoyable and kind of like modern snappy. You could see it sort of turning into a movie or a series. It's got that kind of pace and patter. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to throw out just a couple of things. Jackie, have you seen these Defenders of the Diamond minor league jerseys that have been kicking around the last couple months? I haven't. I've, I've, um, I've missed out on them. I feel bad that I haven't noticed them. They are Marvel-themed jerseys, although they kind of look like acrylic T-shirts. <laughs> I, I know you. Yeah, you perfect hate, for summertime. You hate the 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 quality of current baseball garments. I do, I do, especially you know what they give those poor minor leaguers to wear. And the design of these, I've seen a Thor one, I've seen a Black Panther one. I would ordinarily be all about this business because I love my funny books. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, they remind me of those Halloween costumes that kids used to wear in the 70s. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they're, they're just like plastic that you tied around you with a, a mask that you could barely breathe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sort okay. of a, Good a, tarp, a tarp, a green tarp with some muscles drawn on it and, <laughs> exactly. and the words, the Hulk on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so who you, are you supposed to be? Well, can you not read? It says the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. I also do want to shout out old school X-Men comic books. Once a year, they would play a softball game amongst themselves as a little bit of comic relief away from like cosmic adventures and grim and gritty stuff. And I I always loved the fact that that's how the X-Men would kick it on their off days was to go play softballs. A little comic book fun for you coming in at number seven. I kind of like the way, you know, in the Twilight series, the vampires and the werewolves would play baseball with each other. Jeffrey, that is just a really horrible, hysterical scene. Wow. I, I do, yeah. not, do not know anything about that because I somehow so, managed to stay, even though what we're like 70 miles from Forks, I've never... Never gotten into the Twilight world. No, I have not. We decided to watch the first one just just to see what it was all about. Because I had actually seen one of them. I, you're going to laugh. I was in a nail salon and they were playing it like, you know, with the closed caption. And I was getting a, like a, a mani <laughs> And I, that, that was the first time I'd, I'd seen like a Twilight. And I just, we decided, hey, let's, let's watch one for real. We did not make it through the whole thing. The scene where the werewolves and the vampires are playing their version of baseball is hysterical. It is really, if you could just take that scene and watch that scene because it's just so bad, then I, but the whole, the movie, I, we could not get through the, the whole movie that it's so bad. It's good that, that, that baseball scene in twilight. I'm listening to you, but all I can really hear is in my own head are the words bad hops film club. There you go. And we, maybe, maybe we need to watch the twilight movie to watch the baseball scene. I don't know if I can do that to you. Cause it's like the, like we should just watch that. We should just watch that scene. I can, I'll find like the timestamp for that part of the movie and just so you can see it because it's ridiculous game on okay i accept accept the challenge but until then number six 
All right, number six. This is a, a deep dive, and it might be me bending the rules just slightly, just a little bit. Because <laughs> what on bad hops? On bad no. hops, bending the rules. My number six is Joanne from the Canadian web series, which you can also watch on IFC in the States called Slow Pitch. And it's about a queer softball league and the team, the main team are the Broveries. You I should watch it. this. This web series is hysterical. There's, okay. two, there's two seasons of it. They're like all of 10 minutes long. Joanne is just ridiculously devoted to this team. She's played by Kirsten Rasmussen, and she is just very much like into the like takes everything very seriously, you know. And most of the the people that are playing playing, you know, they they're drinking. They're just like a social event, and she's like, "We have to win!" And you'll love this, Mark. Their arch rival team is the Toronto Blue Gays. Whoa! Yes. That's, no notes on that one. No notes on that at all. That's tremendous. It is tremendous. And there's just like all sorts of hijinks, you know, that goes on with their personal lives. And like Joanne's fiance plays on the team. And at one point she cuts her because she thinks it'll help the team. And it's just, and it's just watch it. It's like I said, they're 10 minutes long. I think, I mean, it's very Canadian too, which is what I love about it. It's very Canadian and it's just silly. We've all encountered that person, like if you ever belong, especially as an adult, if you've ever belonged to any type of league or sports league, there, you know, you're out there, you're out there for fun, you're out there because you want to, you get outside and what, and there's that one person who's like, Andrew, you've got to be a winner, and that's that's what Joanna, she's a take on that, and she's kind, and she's kind of ridiculous and goofy, um, but very much. Very much, you know, like at one point she she hides all the beer from the team because, you know, it's a beer league and you know, she wants them to be sober because she's like, clear eyes, full hearts. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the National League team owners in the 1880s. It's like, hey, there's no time for drinking. This is baseball. You got to be right. focused. It's like, wait, who now? Oh, Can yeah. we still smoke? <laughs> Totally. And they had to do a little chant too, right before they play. They're like, Broveries, Broveries. And their logo is hysterical because it's, you know, it's basically like fallopian tube thing that says Broveries on it. This is amazing. This yeah. is this is the educational yeah. component that I come to Bad Hops for. That's right. To learn about stuff that I probably should have known a long time ago. But you should watch are. it. You should okay. watch it. Yeah. Slow pitch. Slow pitch IFC was on, and you can like you can burn through that in an evening because it's literally 10 minutes long each episode. Let us take a little break. We're gonna come back for the top five That's and counting funny. all the way down to number one. Maybe a long distance dedication. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> um, but after we do the countdown, we are gonna play a little game called How Dare You. That should be a little you. bit of fun because uh, we'll right. get to argue more than we normally do. We'll be right back. So we've gone through the first half of our top 10 list, and now we're ready for number five. Boy, this was a tough one for me. I had a few people from this universe that I felt like I could tap into. I found a player who threw a no-hitter in her first game for her new team. She also hit five home runs in this game. But ultimately, her team lost that game 37 to 5. 
because the rest of the team was so bad, they gave up 37 unearned runs, and therefore negating her no-hitter. Of course, I'm talking about Peppermint Patty. (laughs) Sir. Who was drafted into Charlie Brown's team, and she uh, actually then kicked Charlie Brown off of the pitcher's mound. She could throw a no-hitter, so I would let Patty pitch the whole time. Sorry, Peppermint Patty, not to be confused with the original Patty from Peanuts. As much as I love Peppermint Patty, as I delved into the world of Charles Schultz's Peanuts, I was reminded of the great Joe Schlobotnik. Oh, Joe Schlobotnik. Joe Schlobotnik. And the longer I say that name, the more I'm going to fail at saying it. That one rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Suffice to say, Joe is our number five fictional character. He is Charlie Brown's favorite player. We don't know a lot about old Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. For example, I don't know what position he played or the name of the team that he played for. <laughs> we, what we do know, and of course, I'm getting all my information from Charlie Brown, who's getting all of his information from Charles Schultz. But uh, we do know that Joe Schlobotnik is a batter, but not much of one. Mm-hmm. He has a, a lifetime batting average of .004. I did the math on this. Okay. That means that Joe got one hit in 250 at-bats over roughly 60 games. It's speculated that Joe Schlobotnik was an outfielder or a catcher, but not confirmed, because he is okay. best known for, quote, making spectacular plays on routine fly balls. <laughs> and, quote, throwing out a runner who had fallen down between first and second base. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like this is the player for me too this is my aspirational player i feel like i could i could at some point in my life still reach joe schlobotnik levels so jackie i know what you're gonna say don't quit your day job well luckily joe didn't and he continued to work at the car wash while playing was it jose canseco's car wash oh my god yes (laughs) let's yes that's now canon uh yeah it's it's jose canseco's showtime car wash in las vegas (laughs) But fate smiled upon Joe as he, after he was demoted to uh, play for Stumptown in the Green Grass League. That's the, that was where he got demoted to. I don't know where he got demoted from. Okay. But after Joe retired, he signed on as the manager of the Waffle Town Syrups. Oh, now, so that should be a maybe. That should, it, yeah, I mean, it's, that should exist, right? Right. It's in, it's a, like a Vermont uh, based team or something, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that yeah. needs to happen. Yeah. I think when Charles Schultz wrote this gag in the 70s, it was probably, well, wouldn't this be? Everybody will know this. Is just, we're just sort of joking around here, the Waffle Town syrups. And now it's sort of like, and here we got are. a hat with a waffle on it. Like <laughs> I mean, we've got the Montgomery biscuits. So come on. Yeah. There's so many food-based teams, and oh, I, yeah. why not the Waffle Town syrups? Unfortunately, Joe Schlobotnik was fired after one game for calling a squeeze play with no one on base. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Charlie Brown never stopped believing in his hero uh, Joe, no, even though Charlie Brown was knocked unconscious by a ball thrown to him from a moving vehicle. Uh, Nobody knows where Joe is now, mainly because no one knows what he looks like. He is, after all, an adult in the Peanuts universe. (laughs) Of course. They don't really exist. Yes. I I don't know if he even got the trumpet voice, because I don't know that Joe Schlobotnik was ever featured in a TV show. I think he just was straight up in the the newspaper. 
Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he was ever featured either. He just lived on the page. Well, that's my number five. I'm curious to know who is your number four. For number four, I've got Marla Hooch from A League of Their Own, which very excited for the reboot. See, that that actually I think is end of this imminent. week. So yeah. very imminent, end of this week. Very got our 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 girl uh Abby Jacobson from Broad City. So very excited to see it. But anyway, I picked Marla Hooch, played by Megan Cavanaugh, who, by the way, there's a recent athletic article uh, featuring that actress because the A League of Their Own movie is 30 years old and they have the reboot of the League of Their Own series on Amazon Prime. For those of you who want to watch it, <laughs> like Amazon needs any more advertisement from me. That's um, Amazon Prime, the official streaming service of Bad Hops. That's maybe. right. Well, we are on Amazon uh, Music, Bad Hops, so there's no reason why we, we can't plug it. Anyway, yeah, so there was a, there's this actually a really good story in The Athletic fe- uh, featuring Megan Kavanaugh, who plays the who plays Marla Hooch, and just uh, following her around as she, in, a, in a batting cage, talking to her, talking about her time and, you know, how they really practice like they were a real team. But anyway, back to the character of Marla Hooch. What I like about Marla is she's, you know, this very dowdy, but really, really amazing baseball player, right? So she'd... You know, she kind of doesn't want anyone to see her. She's always looking down. But when she gets up on, on the field, she can like she can pound the baseball. She can, you know, that scene where the the scout and the two main characters, Dottie, played by Gina Davis and Kit Lori Petty, walk in and they see her and they're she's like mashing the ball like a monster, and like the guys are just like, oh my god. And then of course she's not pretty enough, right? So her character is. Sorry, like they're like, why aren't you going to sign her? There's our cleanup hitter. Like, oh, did you see what she looks like? And I love the line there in that movie too when her her dad's like, hey, if she was a boy, I'd be fielding offers from the New York Yankees. But Marley didn't fit that misogynistic view of what sexy was, you know, what men thought those the All-American Girls League should look like. But she could play. She could play like a monster. And then she kind of comes into her own, which is kind of fun. Like, so Marla, you know, like... They always like to show her with the whole the charm school seeds. And it's like, all right, we're just going to move on to the next one. But, you know, she eventually finds her man. She finds, you know, there's a shoe for every, uh, for every, is it a shoe for every sock or a sock for every foot or whatever. <laughs> oh, uh, you, whatever the metaphor you're going for is, whatever. You're, making it, you're making it worse by the second. I am making it worse by the second. Anyway, she finds her dude. There's that great scene where she gets drunk and she's like singing to him. And, you know, she's like, this is for you, baby. You know, it just... <laughs> Just a great, great side character in a movie that's actually filled with a lot of great, a lot of great characters in general. That's my number four, Marla Hooch, A League of Their Own. Very curious how they're going to handle the character in the reboot because it was very much played. I mean, it, it, it was played in a kind of like a very typical way you would approach that character, especially back 30 years ago. Are they? And, and she was kind of a little bit one dimensional, um, even though she does get she does you know, blossom, but I'm very curious how they'll play that that out in the reboot. I'm looking forward to it. I This series uh, reboot has been in, in the works for a long time. A lot, and, a lot uh, of good actresses in it. You know, our, our buddy from The Good Place who plays uh, Janet is in it Janet, as well. yeah. A couple other familiar faces that I'm blanking on right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. All right. We have to number three. Okay. So don't be mad. Okay. You want, you want me number one? I don't care. That's fine. Number oh, one. No, no, no. It's, it's, it, it is time for number three. I just don't 
I don't I don't want you to be mad when I tell you no. that um uh, that I, I I don't know. I, I don't I don't know is number three. Oh okay. I see I see where we're going. So I don't know. Third base? Yeah, I, I don't know. From third base. Third base. Uh the third baseman for the St. Louis Wolves, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. From the classic comedy routine, probably the ultimate baseball comedy bit ever. Who's on first? Yep. We're just going to post a video. I I have all this dialogue. If you and I had rehearsed this since the last recording session, we'd still screw it up. I think we could do it. I have faith in us. Maybe another time. We'll we'll try. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll try. But we have to rehearse. So this is definitely when you have to rehearse. Do you want to? Do you want to just do it cold? You just no. have to respond to what I say. <laughs> hey, Jackie. <laughs> Actually, no, you do have to hit every mark perfectly. I do have to hit it. Exactly. I mean, this is Abbott and Costello. I mean, this is like, we're talking like classic comedy here. It is. the It's classic comedy and it does not, you do not have to be a baseball fan to like lose your mind laughing at this because it is all about misunderstanding. It is all about volatile personalities freaking out on each other. But the whole joke is about this team, the St. Louis Wolves, which I really regret <laughs> That no one has actually bothered to name their team the, the St. Louis Wolves. Mm. I just want to run down the lineup. Who's on first? Obviously, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Why? Left field. Because center field. The pitcher is tomorrow. The catcher is today. And I don't care shortstop. And do you remember who plays right field in this, this bit? I don't recall. They never said. Oh, that's why I don't recall. It tells me that Abbott and Costello maybe weren't the biggest baseball fans in the world. Of course, they love baseball because they made bank off of doing this bit well, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. a thousand times over. But yeah, they never bothered to name the right fielder for this team. Basically, Costello comes up to Abbott. Abbott is the manager of the of the Wolves. Costello wants to get to know the players, and he is asking the manager... Tell me about the team. I would like to know some of the guys' names on the teams when I meet them on the street so I can say hello. They go through this whole thing of like, well, so tell me who's on second. It's like, no, who's on first? We're going to post the bit. It's like there's different incarnations of it. It's about six to eight minutes long in almost everything I've seen. It is hilarious. It I've is seen hilarious. other other people do it live. But yeah, I, I love the fact that there there's a guy called I don't know. This routine apparently was never originated by Abbott and Costello. It had been kicking around in different forms on the vaudeville circuit. There's actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> much like baseball and cricket, there's evidence that the, this bit was performed in England in around 1900. Not about baseball, not about cricket, but about mm-hmm. a, a lord of the manor. Because, of course, that's the sort of jokes you want to hear in British vaudeville. Of course. Uh, but Abbott and Costello perfected it. Let's just put it that way. I think they might have stolen the whole concept from, from somebody else. And they started performing it on stage in the 30s. They first performed it in 1938 on the Kate Smith Hour. Now, I know that you know that Kate Smith also has a connection to baseball. Oh, yes, she does. Yes, she does. Do you want to do the Bob Shepard voice? Ladies no. and gentlemen, Singing please God rise. Bless America, Kate Smith. But then they had a little issue. Uh, yeah, so they played a recording of the long-deceased Kate Smith after starting right after 9-11. Yep. 
and they would play God Bless America before they would play Take Me Out of the Ball Game at Yankees games. They played that recording for 18 years. Yeah. I think, did they keep the Bob Shepard intro? Um, um, yeah, I mean, once Bob Shepard passed, the only person he was introing was Derek Jeter. Oh, that's that right. Point, it was the, so. the recording of him. Derek Jeter. Derek number Jeter. Two. Number two. Yep. But then it turns out that Kate Smith was one heck of a racist. And yes, she was. Uh, I yes, went was. back and reviewed some of her discography from the 20s and 30s, and I just scrubbed my brain out with soap after I read some of those things. So we don't hear that anymore. But I guess no. she did give us the first national broadcast of Who's On First by Abbott Costello. So we've got and, that. And if you don't like it, well, talk to my shortstop because I don't care. We're getting into the final countdown now. So I'm going to say number two. For my number two, I have got Amanda Wurlitzer from the Bad News Bears played yes. by Tatum O'Neill. This is like, this is like a, you know, for me, this is um, this is my childhood. Tatum O'Neill was in some great movies, Paper Moon, Little Darlings. She was in a remake, prequel, sequel to National Velvet called International Velvet. But she was like the classic, sassy, 70s kid who is an amazing pitcher. And I, that opening scene, I don't say opening scene, but it's one of the beginning scenes in the movie where Morris Buttermaker, who's played by... Uh, Walter Matthau, who I think was like in every movie in the 70s. Oh, right? the, like, what the, wasn't he in? The ultimate schlub. Exactly. And he then uh, he plays an ultimate schlub. So he basically plays an ex-minor leaguer who is now like trying to put together this little league baseball team in California, you know. And there's something about LA in the 70s, right? There's just like it's just kind of it's kind of a feel. And he approaches a 12, 11, 12-year-old Tatum O'Neill who is sitting in one of those old time remember those 70s those uh, lawn chairs you know the kind that you got the slots that you get the little marks on the back of your your leg it's there in her like flowy like peasant skirt and her halter top and a big old hat selling selling maps of the stars to what she calls the ignorant hicks uh, (laughs) to make money so you know she's telling walter matt that no no i gave this up i'm um you know i'm gonna be a young lady gotta be can't be a tomboy anymore and so he kind of baits her and he's like come on you, you know you can still tell you you probably like you you, you stop you stop pitching you can't pitch anymore like okay i guess you just you're just scared you can't throw your can't throw your your fastball or your curve anymore and she's of course he baits her and she's like oh you kidding you kidding right she throws a mean fastball and a killer knuckle curve and she gets up there in a little peasant you know flowy peasant skirt and halter top and like you know wails them at his glove and she ends up playing for the bad news bears and they are a group of quote-unquote lovable misfits although there is one character mark because i was looking at because i've seen this movie quite a bit but not recently there's one little kid one little kid little kid character who's like a racist and the words that that like you no know, like I the words like he uses the n word at one point I was just like oh my god like so that didn't age well so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen say, the 1970s <laughs> exactly I mean and that's you know because he's just like oh now we have a, a girl and we've got like derogatory word for a Hispanic person derogatory word for a black person <laughs> so yeah he's basically so that didn't age well, but the character of, of Amanda is just, she's just incredible, you know, tomboy, tough kid, 
kind of calls Walt, Walter Matthau out on his shit. You know, she's kind of like the, uh, and Walter Matthau, his character is kind of the precursor to uh, Tom Hanks' character in A League of Their Own, right? Well, what's up with these drunken managers? You know, it's like, right. oh, I can't play ball anymore, so I'm just going to drink myself to death. Yeah, if you have never seen, and I'm talking like the classic, like the, the original Bad News Bears, because there's a remake. Yeah, not the Richard Linklater, I mean, no. I, who I love, but I, but don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to see it. No, like the, watch the one with Tatum O'Neill. It's in Walter Matthau. It's a great classic baseball movie. You'll understand the Chico's uh, Bell Bonds references that you see all the time. Amanda Wurlitzer. I mean, she would be my number one, but we're going to get to that now because you have that. So here we go. Number one. Oh, yeah. Number one. If we're doing a list of top 10 fictional characters, who better than a backup outfielder slash pinch hitter. Of course, I'm talking about Bobson Dugnut, you guys. <laughs> oh, Bobson Dugnut. Bobson Dugnut is a fictional character, but also now sort of this myth that grows by the year because it's all about the memes. I've seen t-shirts, I've seen hats, I've seen merch. It's, it's amazing. First of all, I want to thank Dave Farquhar for writing this incredibly well-researched article about the, the Bob's and Doug Nut story. Uh, I want to excerpt a little of that, and then I want to jump into some other stuff. There is a found. Bob's and Doug Nut story? I love Well, it. sure. I mean, of you course. can't be a man and a myth without a story. Fair, Jeez, fair. Louise. Fair. You're Thompson Dugnut was a fictional baseball player in the 1994 video game Fighting Baseball, a Japanese version of MLB baseball. Now, Bobson was a bench player for the Milwaukee franchise. I know you're going to say the Milwaukee Brewers, but you can't say that. You're legally enjoined from saying that. Okay. <laughs> it's I, I, the Milwaukee franchise. The, okay. Also in the game, there was New York A and New York B. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> you might guess what's going on here. The developer didn't want to pay for the MLB Players Association licensing agreement, which is essential to have the names and likenesses of players. So they needed to create a few players to populate their video game. No problem. It's 1994. There were only 28 teams. This was before the Diamondbacks and the, the Devil Rays joined in 1998. So there's only 28 MLB teams with only 26 players per team. That's no big whoop. That's only, oh, oh God, that's like 728 players that need names. <laughs> Is that all? The developer opted to take existing player names and I, I don't know how to describe it, remix them. Sometimes that meant recombining different first names and last names or kind of fudging a letter here and there. So instead of John Cruck, you got Mike Truck. One of my other favorite players in the t the game, Glenn Allen Mixon, <laughs> who is kind of a mashup of Glenn Allen Hill and Trot Nixon. Now, Glenn Allen Hill, we've talked about in previous episodes, is having a nightmare about spiders and freaking out and then falling through a plate glass coffee table. Yeah. That makes me, so if that was Glenn Allen Hill's phobia, that makes me wonder if Glenn Allen Mixon is afraid of spiders. <laughs> Oh, okay. But the unlucky it, guy... It can't all be gems. Sorry. And out of 728 baseball names, uh, there are actually a surprising number of really good gems, but yeah, not all of them. The unlucky guy that had to create 728 names needed some other inspirations. 
So Dave Farquhar speculates that the the Japanese to English remix route was already awkward enough. And so uh, a lot of Hispanic names were nixed from the mix. See, now I'm like, I'm smudging letters here too. But fear not, there's a whole NHL roster to plunder to generate fake names from as well. So hello, Ron Tugnut. <laughs> oh, oh, just no, no. I'm sorry, Jackie. Ron Tugnut is actually a human being, and that is actually his name. He is a goalie of some renown. He played for Team Canada in the Olympics. He bounced between the Mighty Ducks and the Montreal Canadiens as a goalie in 1994, holds some records for save percentage in the playoffs, even appeared alongside Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada. So Ron Tugnut morphed into... Bobson Dugnut. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, I want to shout out because, my goodness, uh, we'll post a link. You can look at all of these names. People have built spreadsheets with all the names and the rosters and whether they're active players or not. It's amazing. But I just want to shout out some of my favorite ones. Sleeve McDykel, Todd Bonzales, <laughs> Dwigget Rorchigal. <laughs> wow. Elvis Crushel. <laughs> And one of Bobson's teammates on the Milwaukee franchise, Stephen Zerpaz. Z-Z-E-R-P-A-W-S. Zerpaz. One of the best features of modern video games is the ability to create and customize players. That's been a feature for quite a long time. You, you mm-hmm. give them sideburns, you can like you know change their hat style or whatever. I've been playing a lot of MLB The Show this season, and I love the naming feature where if you can find the name in the audio vocabulary, you can trick ESPN's Boog Shambi into saying the dumbest name that you can conjure up. So this season, I have played as both Kitty Macbeth and Professor Stanky. And in my friend circle, I've also run into such famous characters as Tiny Cowboy, Sandy Butts, Granny Fatty, and Stan the Manslaughter. And only some of those names were created by a child. <laughs> and only some of them. I do know the ones that were created by the child. And now this is where things get a little weird. So Bobson Dugnut was from 1994, but because truth is stranger than fiction. During the heyday of the early 2000s, when Hank Aaron's home run record may or may not have been officially broken, asterisk time, right? Yeah. Well, you know, notable team player and easy to get along with guy Barry Bonds refused to license his name and likeness to the to the MLB Players Association, his own union, essentially. And so therefore, his name and likeness could not appear in any video game when he was the hottest player in baseball. I draw some of this information from a guy called Ryan Ferguson, who wrote extensively uh, on why Barry Bonds was not in video games. You still had the entire San Francisco Giants lineup in 2004. So you had to have a guy in the outfield that was a a massive heavy hitter. So the workarounds for a game called All-Star Baseball, the outfielder was now named Wes Mailman. (laughs) Wow. Which sounds like Bob's and Dugnut, right? Or, 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 you know, or at least a sleeve McDykel. But that was a real person. He was the lead developer on the game, and they he just decided, well, we'll just put my name in there. MVP Baseball, which was the other major competing title at the time, 
put in a guy called John Dowd, who was another developer, so another real named person who, of course, had no home run hitting ability. Apparently, there was a lot of speculation in 2004 that it was named after the special counsel that was in investigating Pete Rose's gambling transgressions, who was a guy called John Dowd. Uh, and he was doing that on behalf of Paul Giamatti's dad, the then commissioner of baseball, Bart Giamatti. So what did Barry Bonds do at, along all of this? Barry Bonds put his name on a mobile phone game called Barry Bonds Home Run History that gave you control over a pixelated Bonds and allowed you to just hit home runs. So you were doing that on your Nokia like, on your Nokia, if you got tired of playing Snake, you could play Barry Bonds' Home Run History. I'm sure that it must have been so much fun because those early phone games were amazing. Yeah. Here's a quote from Barry Bonds. I love new technology, and it is amazing to see how excellent a game can be on a wireless phone. The fact that it is based on my quest to break the all-time home run record adds to the fun, and I think fans will really get a kick out of playing it. So it was like Tamagotchi, if you didn't give Barry Bonds his steroids, he wasn't able to hit his home runs and he died. Is that what he, just, it, he would just beep at you all night as you were. Uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Barry. Okay, Barry. All right. Where, where is it? Where is it? Let me turn the light on. But I love the fact that so this the weird story of Bobson Dugnut, who was on a kind of forgotten uh, Nintendo game from the mid-90s, that whole story ended up becoming a real life story when Barry Bonds refused to put his name on video games. I remember I was playing those games back in 2004 and I was like, who is this Joker? Who, who the heck is John Dowd? Am I supposed to know who? And it's like, oh, wait, it's like this white redheaded dude that happens to be playing in the outfield for San Francisco and hits a home run literally every time he comes to the plate. It's like, oh. Who could he be? I figured it out. Hmm. I wish they had called him Bobs and Dugnut, but sadly no. Sadly, no. The legend of Bobs and Dugnut. Is he technically a fictitious baseball character? Because there's literally no backstory to Bobs and Dugnut, apart from the fact he plays for Milwaukee. I think he, the Milwaukee team. The Milwaukee team. Franchise or whatever it's called. And he's a, yeah, he's a backup outfielder. But yeah, Bob's and Doug Nutt, my number one fictional baseball character of all time. All right. Number one. Like it. We are going to come back and we're going to play a quick game of how dare you. We're going to find out why we didn't pick the people that you expected us to pick for fictional baseball characters. And we'll argue about it. Right after the break. It is time to play for the first time in Bad Hop's history, but maybe we'll do it again if it's good or if it's a disaster. Either way. And who can tell sometimes, right? Exactly. We're going to play a little game called How Dare You? So we just went through the list of top 10 fictional characters. We threw a couple other extras in there, too, because that's how we roll. But we left a lot of things out. And I think we left a lot of iconic baseball movie characters out in particular. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say to Jackie, how dare you for leaving Roy Hobbs, the main character in the motion picture, the natural, how dare you leave Robert Redford, Roy Hobbs off of your list? You know, I actually really liked the book, the natural. I read it in high school and it was it was right around or right before the the movie was released. 
I always thought that it was a decent movie, uh, but I and I I love Robert Redford as an actor, but I thought it was bad casting. I thought he was too old for the part. And you know, I just it's very cliche. Everybody loves it. Men love that movie. I know there's a scene that they all like. If men are going to cry, they're going to cry at that. The that was the ending scene. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a while. So I just think it's a cliche. You know, if you love it, that's great. I think it's, but I think it's a really obvious, obvious pick. I, I know I got, I've got a couple of movies in there that are classic baseball movies, but I tried not to go for the most obvious choice. So yeah, I mean, I liked, I, I really liked the book. I would say read the book, The Natural. I thought the movie was, was fine. It's a good baseball movie, but I still think the book blows it away. All right. Well, that's not much of a how dare you, because I agree with everything you said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was researching and, you know, there's some obvious choices of when you're asked to name a, a fictional baseball player. I think a lot of people, especially from a generation a little bit older than us, oh, you're Roy Hobbs, boy, that, that, boy, that nat- remember when he hit that ball and it hit the lights? Yeah, You know, I did a little refreshing in my memory and it's like, okay, The Natural is a movie about a baseball player who makes a lucky bat from the lightning struck tree that his dad died next to. Then he gets shot by a stalker and then he has a teammate die on the field and then he gets threatened to be outed as somebody that got shot by a stalker. And then he wins the National League pennant for his team while bleeding out from a wound he incurred (laughs) 16 years earlier. It's too earnest and too sentimental. And I just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, Roy Hobbs never cl- came close to my top 10 list. Of course, I, I went for all weird anyway. So you did. You natural did. is not weird enough. No. Not weird at all. <laughs> no, no. I've got one for you in a similar vein. How dare you not pick Ray Kinsella from Field of Dreams, played by Mr. Baseball himself, Kevin Costner? Because he was played by Kevin Costner would be the main reason. <laughs> the guy from Waterworld, the guy from The Postman, yeah, the guy from Madonna's Truth or Dare. <laughs> Boy, two uh, great baseball movie people appeared in, in that one scene in Truth or Dare, which was like way better than yeah anything from Field of Dreams. If you only give me one word, and I know you'd love to give me only one word in these discussions, because then Mm -hmm. it just wraps up that much more quickly. Mockish? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like this whole, if if you build it, they will come thing. It just like gives me the creeps. And (laughs) it is a little creepy. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, it's like Oprah stuff for men. Believe in your dreams. Chew some tobacco when you're having those dreams. So you're not going to watch the Field of Dreams game tomorrow? I probably won't. I do love the fact that they're playing in their old-timey uniforms. That's that's the best part of Field of Dreams games. Yeah, and I feel like that maybe they should... Well, it's too late to probably grow a mustache, but you can still stick one on. But yeah, a nice twirly mustache on all of those guys. Totally. High stockings. I, I I would love that. I think if it was like the Cubs versus the Children of the Corn... That I would watch. A little more unpredictability, please. A little more excitement. Man, if Malachi had come out to uh, school Ray Kinsella instead of Joe Jackson, that would have been amazing. That's all I can remember about Children of the Corn. That was, uh, let's just say that was another great baseball movie. It was on the other side of the field of dreams. It was definitely on the other side of the field of dreams. Guess that concludes this first installment of How Dare You? And maybe we'll find something where we actually, you know, can dig in on our arguments rather than like, oh, yeah, that did suck.
There's always next time. There is. The fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. Broveries, broveries. I can't top that. Wait, <laughs> blue gaze, blue gaze, <laughs> blue gaze.